0: DarkCast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasting. Welcome to Murder and Mimosas, a true crime podcast brought to you by a mother and daughter duo.
1: Bringing you murder stories with a mimosas in hand.
0: Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas, it's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to, disappearances, murder, and sexual assault. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information with some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Hey, Murderitas. Welcome back to Murder Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today, we are going to cover the story of John Busby and the injustice he and his family face. Grab your mimosas, you sip while we share. It was Friday, August 31st, 1979, Labor Day weekend. John worked as a police officer and he had the 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. shift. So, the graveyard shift. He'd worked the night before and then spent the day in court. Once he got home, he only had a few hours to sleep before his shift started all over again. He'd asked his wife Polly to wake him up at about 9.45 so he could get ready. John was up and really thinking about calling in because he was exhausted. His three kids would be returning to school soon, and he, you know, is a father and really wanted to spend time with them but he chose to do the responsible thing and headed into work. As John was headed down his street, he noticed this blue sedan up ahead, and it was talking to someone in a white VW bug. Then a car raced up behind him with their high beams on, and he thought at first that the car was going to pass him, but it didn't. John then hears what he described as a roar and then felt, Basically what felt like a punch to the face. So he was thrown to the passenger seat and he heard another roaring type of noise. As he began to sit up, he noticed a pool of blood in the passenger seat as well as bone, teeth, and hair. It only took him a minute to realize that this was obviously his blood, hair, and teeth because he was the only one in the car. So he sat up and he slammed on the brakes and his car came to a stop. Blue sedan was still there, and a third round was fired into the passenger window of John's car. John wished for a change that he had his service gun with him so he could fire back, but since you know he had the three kids at home, he always thought it was safer to leave it at work. So John put the car in reverse and takes off. He ended up taking down a fence and ran right up on the driveway of a house, and he went to the door of the house. He knocked on the door, and a little girl answered, and of course, seeing him, she begins to scream. So her mother comes quickly to the door, and she got John inside, she called 911, and she started to get towels for John to try and, like, help stop the bleeding. So was this a case of mistaken identity, or did someone actually mean to shoot a police officer? And if
1: so, why? I know you mentioned that John didn't have a service revolver. Was he in a police car at the time or was he in his own personal vehicle? So he
0: was in his own personal vehicle, which was a VW bug as well.
1: So the person or people that shot him probably didn't know he was a police officer then, I'm assuming.
0: Well, that's something we will have to find out as we go in further. Okay. So a fellow police officer heard about the shooting on the radio and got there pretty quickly for John. The EMT, though, would not enter an area unless the scene was secure. So Tony, the other officer, secured the scene and began pacing as he's waiting on help to arrive and he's got his gun drawn just in case. John saw the amount of blood and he knew that because of how much had come out, he was either going to pass out soon or bleed out soon. He wanted them to know who had done this to him in the chance that he didn't make it. So he got out his notebook, out of his shirt pocket, and he wrote down Melvin Rain. Then he wrote Polly and the
1: kid, not safe. Oh my gosh, so he thinks someone actually had a hit on him. I can only assume this is someone he helped put away probably.
0: Actually, no, he hadn't put him away, but we will get into that and like why John thinks that he was targeted. So, of course, one of the officers went to get Polly at the house so she could be at the hospital with her husband. The kids could hear her crying, and they woke up. Kelly, who is their 18-year-old niece, was staying with them that summer, and Polly had told Kelly to stay with the kids, and she would call as soon as she knew anything. So Kelly tried to settle the kids down by putting on a record in the living room. Then they see lights pull into the driveway. They peek out through the shutters, and they see this red sports car pull up. A man gets out, pulls a rifle from the backseat, and he is like stalking towards the door. Kelly is rushing the kids into the dark kitchen, telling them to be quiet. Then she sent the kids to their parents' room and into the closet. Then they begin to hear some knocking at the back door. They sit silently in fear and the knocks them again. The knocks end up stopping for a little bit, and then the phone rang. They didn't answer that either. Kelly ordered the kids upstairs to the crawl space and told them not to come out until she or their mother came and got them. Kelly bravely went to the door. It turned out to be a police officer. He just wasn't in his uniform or in his patrol car but he informed Kelly that he would be sitting outside all night guarding the house. He
1: could at least come in the patrol car. I mean, they're already on high alert. I mean, this girl is brave for 18, though. I would have probably been up in the attic, too, and no way would I have answered the door. So, I mean, no one is even after me now, but I still usually don't answer the door. Right. Too
0: much crime has made me cautious or maybe paranoid, which this day and age, I've got, you know, a ring, a ring doorbell, doorbell. <laughs> yeah. So I can see who's there, and if I feel like answering,
1: <laughs> or you're just talking at the ring doorbell, yeah. go away. I'm, I'm not coming. What
0: do you <laughs> want? I don't want it. So oh, that girl's got cookies. Bye. <laughs> so Polly's at the hospital with John, and they have guards stationed outside his room. Their children were picked up by Polly's brother Joe, who lived in Boston, and he took the kids to his house until all of this could be like sorted out. You know, if it could be sorted out. Polly didn't tell John that his lower jaw was literally blown off and he may never be able to speak, eat, or breathe through his mouth or nose again.
1: Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine for one the pain he must be in. But what is going through his mind as well as his wife's? I'm sure she's grateful he's alive, but what does that even look like now for them? The pain...
0: According to him, was horrendous, which I cannot even imagine. He was given pain medicine every four hours, but it would really start to wear off about every three. So that last like hour mm-hmm. to 45 minutes was just. Uh, yes. So there were doctors there that said he thought he could reconstruct John's face with the help of a Harvard medical team. But of course, this isn't going to be a quick fix. This would be over a matter of many years and many surgeries. Until then, they kept his face bandaged up, and of course, he has no jaw, so he has to have a feeding tube, and it goes down to his stomach so that he can eat. So let's talk a little bit about how John ended up on the police force. He had been previously in the military, but then he wasn't sure if he wanted to go into law enforcement or be a firefighter. I'm not really sure how he leaned in towards law enforcement in the end, but he did. He went through the academy and was offered several jobs that he turned down. He was offered a job with Falmouth right on the tip of Cape Cod, and he and Polly fell in love with this area. So they bought a house, and they settled in the area about nine years before all of this happened. John learned quickly that no one cared what you did, to the tourists that came in, but there were some locals that no matter what they did, you kind of just had to look the other way.
1: Um, No, that would not work for me. I get like letting someone go with a warning for speeding or something, but what do they have up there, the mob? Well,
0: let me give you an example of an officer that was a state trooper in North Carolina, and he came there. Apparently, this officer was doing things that uh, an office, oh no, an officer would do. He got assigned to permanent desk duty. He was allowed to only drive a police car home for his dinner break. Before he was changed to the desk, he had trained an officer and apparently didn't tell him like the unwritten rules of the Untouchables. And this rookie arrested one of the Untouchables for a DUI. The following day, this woman's ticket was cleared completely from the logbook, and the officer was no longer allowed to drive. The car, even get dinner and back. This officer eventually resigned.
1: So, if you aren't following the so-called rules, you're blacklisted. Pretty much there.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So let's kind of dial back a little bit and go back to Melvin Rain and how John seemed to get on his bad side. So Melvin had been in prison for burglary and arson. He evidently, would burglarize a place and then burn it to the ground. Thinking they can't tell what was stolen if it's burned.
1: I mean, I don't condone it, but yeah, it makes sense.
0: Except for this was a small town and he's selling off people's stuff, and wouldn't you know it, people start to recognize their own things. If anyone said anything, you usually found your house burned down or maybe your car and like right in your driveway burned down. This is basically like his way of intimidating people not to talk and giving them a warning. He was wreaking havoc all over town, and in a three-week span, burned down 12 buildings and a car. The car happened to be the police chief right in his own driveway. Now, Melvin also had, like, a legitimate business. He had a trash truck business. He had the 17-year-old kid that worked for him, testified against him. And Melvin got five to eight years and was out in a year and a half. The kid that testified against Melvin was, was car was burned out in his yard. And the kid got the heck out of Dodge.
1: Clearly, prison really turned Melvin around.
0: Yeah, not only that, but Melvin's wife, Wanda, she came up missing. He told the police that they had had an argument because she had taken $300 and left. But then he changed this story, saying he dropped her off at the bus station to go visit her cousin in Wareham. Oddly, her family said she didn't even have a cousin there, so that doesn't add up. The babysitter told police that Wanda went to visit her mother. Her mother said there was no way she would leave without her two boys. To this day, her body's never been found and no word or sightings of or from her.
1: Just think about what this did to these boys. Eventually, they have to relate that their dad is probably responsible for their, their mother's disappearance.
0: Maybe, or maybe they were in the dark so long and told stories that they may think she ran off on them. It's
1: true, but either way, it had to really screw with your head. On February 4th, The Minds of Madness is set to release an investigative four-part series centered on a cold case from nearly four decades ago. At first, it was just, my mom's gone. And then it became, you know, your mom was taken by a bad man. And they found video of him killing women.
0: If you'd ever watched any uh, episodes of Breaking Bad, that's exactly what you would see.
1: He buried these 11 women and kept going out there. He made a road going out there. You got this dude saying, hey, I'm going to show your family these pictures. And like, he's secretly taping her. The cops don't care. We're nothing to them. They dumped her like a piece of garbage, you know? I don't see anything that screams there's two people doing this. I never thought anything was going to come out of this case. Ever. Listen to the Minds of Madness series, Who Killed Jennifer, starting February 4th, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, the babysitter Shirley, the one who had told police that Wanda had left and, like, went to her mom, she ended up moving in with Melvin, and then once she turned 18, she officially became his girlfriend.
1: So that's probably the motive of why the wife disappeared. He found a much younger model.
0: I mean, that's most people's theory, yes. There's also a young boy, 16, and his name was Charles Flanagan. He had been picked up by the police one night, and when they were passing Melvin, this kid jumped to the floorboard. The officer asked what was wrong, and... He said he didn't like Melvin or Melvin didn't like him. What he didn't tell them was that he had been seeing the babysitter, Shirley. And not long after this, the kid was found dead across from Melvin's house and in the cranberry bog. Now, while it was, of course, highly suspected that it was Melvin, there was zero evidence to tie him to this crime. So that case is sadly still sitting unsolved. and. Nobody's really done anything with it. That's crazy. I know. So in 1972, John was hired when a store owner wanted to hire this, like an off-duty police officer to just patrol the parking lot on Friday and Saturday nights. Because he didn't want the teens out there, like, messing his parking lot up or messing with customers.
1: I definitely remember those times in my life sitting at parking lots just talking and none of the owners liked to being in their parking lot.
0: Well John starts patrolling it and giving out citations mostly to teen boys not wanting to follow the rules. One night there was a teen boy in the parking lot and John told him to go park somewhere else. The boy did. I mean he pulled out burning rubber. Well John noted his plates in case he saw him again so that he could talk to him about it. But not much later, here comes Melvin in his huge garbage truck, pulling in with this zit-faced kid in his sports car right behind him. John, not wanting to back down, goes over to the car and asks the kid for his license and registration. He asks why, and John tells him he's writing him a citation. Melvin's there just revving up his trash truck, letting John know he's there, because apparently he thinks he can't see a giant trash truck, I guess. This kid says, you may want to talk to my uncle before you do that. John doesn't care. He's ignoring this warning, hands the kid the citation, and told him to come on back if he wanted more.
1: Thank God someone around there had some courage, even if it's something so minor as a citation.
0: Well, Melvin was ticked off. He yelled at John, asking why he did that when the kid didn't do anything. John jumped up on the running board of the driver's side window and said, what did you say? Melvin said, I smell smoke, which is what Melvin said as a threat to people because, you know, he likes to burn things down. And that's what he meant. You know, he was going to burn down something or someone that they loved, something of theirs. By saying I smell smoke, though, he can't be arrested as threatening them because it's not like an outright threat.
1: I um, mean, yeah, he's not wrong.
0: Dude's good at finding loop. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> John, still not willing to back down though, sniffs the air and said, You're right. Kinda smells like the candles at somebody's funeral, right?
1: Candles at a funeral? What? I guess. It's not what he said, but more of, hey dude, you don't scare me.
0: Exactly. And maybe it was like his way of giving a threat back. Loki was like, Yep, smells like your funeral, bro. (laughs) Yeah. But without saying, it's your funeral, bro. (laughs) So Although, I like his wit. That was, yes. that was clever. There was another incident when John had just gotten to work that night, and they have a call from another patrol car that they are in pursuit of a vehicle. But this car won't pull over. John and his partner set out to help. They heard the driver pulled into a yard and stop, but he wouldn't get out of his car. The other men were standing around saying they don't know how to arrest him if he won't come out. John said, the windows are made of glass, aren't they? and he was told that it was Melvin's son, and they weren't doing that. So guess who did?
1: I'm assuming John.
0: Yep, John said the engine was off, and he knew he could hear them. Then John knocked the driver's side window out, reached around to unlock the door when he put it in gear. John tried to get the keys out of the ignition, but he couldn't, and he decided to let go of the car. Of course, the kid took off, and this time pulled into Melvin's driveway, and Melvin was outside when John... Melvin is yelling at the other police, but John goes to the passenger side, busts that window out, jumps into the car, gets the keys out of the ignition. John pulls the kid out of the car and starts cuffing him. Melvin's just yelling, there better not be one mark on him. When John said if he was interfering with an arrest, John could arrest him too. Melvin just turned and he walked in the house. He came back with a baseball bat. Of course. Not a good plan. Officers advised him to drop it as they surround him with guns. Not long before John was shot, he was working an accident where there had been a fatality. So due to this, there had to be an investigation and he had stopped traffic. One of the people who were waiting to get through was Melvin's brother, John Rain. He was in this huge semi and he just continued to rev his truck. Letting John know he wasn't happy about sitting there, but that's what these
1: dudes rev in their trucks. I don't know. It's like
0: (laughs) another big truck. It's not like, like we see you. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. No one likes to sit in traffic, but I mean, no, no. John wasn't having it though. He told the guy, "If you're in such a hurry, you can turn around and go the other way." Dude puts the truck in gear and takes off, hitting John on the side flying through the traffic stop. Once John was done with the accident, he's heading straight to John Rain's house. He arrests him, charges him with assault and battery on a police officer. John was going to have to be in court to testify against him, but was gunned down just two weeks before the court hearing.
1: Mm, So these three things that Melvin's family brought on themselves is what caused him to be gunned down?
0: John feels certain it was him. But the police aren't really doing anything about it, or at least the police it was assigned to are. In fact, other departments or other police departments even reach out to the chief saying they were willing to help, but the chief declines their offers. John knew that one of the officers on the force was friends with Melvin, and he thought that Melvin was pretty chummy with the chief too. Though I don't know because he like burned.
1: And could have been a different police chief. Yeah, that's
0: true. Or that chief is scared of him. No, now. That's true too. One of the two. So he took note of the guys that came to see him in the hospital. And when he got home, the chief never came, nor did the other two cops that he thought were like buddies with Melvin. It was then Jan realized that it also had to be someone on the force who told Melvin about his work schedule. And where he would be? Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, you're right. That didn't even dawn on me. But he's so right, though.
0: So police have to guard John and his family twenty four seven. They have police at their house day and night. They have officers that follow the kids to school and just literally just sit there all day, like watching them. Polly is in nursing school, so they have to follow her. And this is in the city a ton of money. I mean, they don't have. A lot of officers, as it is, and they're having to pay these guys time and a half because they're working when they should be off.
1: What about the ones John doesn't trust? Are they guarding his house or his family?
0: No, this was voluntary if they wanted the extra money, which, of course, most of them did. It's not like you make a ton as a police officer, and time Mm -hmm. and a half to just kind of sit there and babysit is not a bad gig. Plus, you usually got fed well at the house, too, so it was a pretty easy gig. Pretty easy money. Oddly enough, though, the chief did resign not too long after John was shot. No one is really loving this arrangement other than the officers, because you know, easy Extreme. money. Yeah. But even then, you want to spend time with your own family. The kids hate the officers following him around because how embarrassing, and they're getting made fun of. The boys are getting into fights at school because, well, we know how mean kids can be. Yeah. Their daughter has some friends tell her, like, they can't play with her anymore. And not to mention, these kids were outside playing all the time. And now they can't go anywhere or do anything because they have this entourage of police behind them.
1: I never really thought about what it would be like, but they are essentially prisoners in their own home.
0: That's exactly how they described it. So the city's going broke with all the extra pay. So what is the city going to do for them now? Well, they're going to build them an eight-foot fence, get them a security system, and a guard dog. Mind you, police officers had to sign a contract with the city consenting to the -the around-the-clock security detail if they are ever targeted. The city has taken that away now that it's costing
1: it doesn't sound like the city really wants to take care of their officers anyway, or they wouldn't be letting these thugs run around and run the city. True.
0: So John's having one surgery after the next, but he and his wife Polly decide that once she's done with nurse, like nursing school, they're moving. Once she did finish, she found different places that offered her jobs, and they had to be okay with her name being like not being listed anywhere because. Safety issues. Right. They ended up moving to Tennessee. They didn't tell their friends where they were going. But they didn't change their names either. They just kind of went into hiding.
1: So was Melvin ever convicted of attempted murder or anything?
0: No. So Melvin and his brother John had this big falling out in 2002. John, at that time, turned on his brother and said that Melvin was the gunman that shot John. And he drove the car, and Melvin's wife was also in the other car.
1: Was Melvin dead then, or why was he not convicted?
0: So he was alive, but by the time that John came forward and flipped on his brother, the statute of limitations had run out on attempted
1: murder. I didn't realize there was one for attempted murder. I just thought it was like the same statute of limitations as murder.
0: Well... He learned something new. Yeah. So he was put in a mental institution after being questioned. But to be honest, he was suffering from dementia. And I don't know if he fully knew what was going on by then. And He ended up dying in 2013.
1: Well, like John and this family ever got justice. Did John at least recover?
0: So he had a lot of surgeries over his lifetime. They were actually able to con- like reconstruct a jaw for him. So he is able to eat and talk, but it can be very hard to understand him when he talks. I do agree with you wholeheartedly. They did not do justice, or at least not justice they deserve. And honestly, my mind is kind of blown that there are cops out there that let this happen to one of their own and not seek justice.
1: I guess you could say the good guys don't always win. But at the same time, he did live through it and he still has his family I just hate that nothing happened to the guy that did all this to him.
0: We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers. If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram can also find us at murder.mimosas on tiktok twitter and if you have a case you would like us to do you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com and lastly we are on facebook at murder and mimosas podcast where you can interact with us there we love any type of feedback you can give us so please rate and review us on spotify itunes or wherever you listen to
1: your podcasts